1: Yesterday, Jen gave us a great introduction to the Anapanasati Sutta, what what we're doing here this weekend. Um, And in that introduction, she talked about the Buddha visiting this place, this large gathering of, of monks, senior monks, Novices, beginners, and seasoned um, vets—all practicing the Dhamma together—and the Buddha was very happy about this gathering. And um, it said, "You know, this well-focused Sangha, focused on the Heartwood of the Dhamma, the Eightfold Path, is rare in the world. Rare to see. So today is going to begin." talk about the qualities, characteristics, concerns, and considerations that is Dhamma practice. Um, The Anapanasati Sutta means Anapanasati means breath work. Um, So the breath obviously is, is a huge part of Dhamma practice, um, not breathing in itself, but a quality of attention placed on becoming aware of the sensation of breathing in the body and using that as a, as an anchor and a guide to one, have a direct experience with impermanence to um, have a handy dandy in the pocket method of coming back to what's occurring now, which regardless of the chaos in the world, the chaos in our minds, the chaos of the day is just this. That's happening all the time, regardless of what we're thinking, feeling, agendas, lists, all of these things. What's happening throughout that is So when we can return our minds to that awareness of the sensation of breathing, we start to develop concentration. And as we'll see, everything comes from that in, in the practice. So Buddha's words, this is just picking up from where Jen left off. In this community of monks, there are monks who are haunts. Arahants are beings who have fully developed the Eightfold Path, whose mental effluents are ended. These Arahants have completed the task and have laid down the burden of continued eye-making or maintaining Anata. They have attained the true goal and abandoned the fetter of becoming further ignorant. They are released through right understanding, such is this community of monks. In this community of monks, there are monks who abandoning the five lower fetters are totally unbound from clinging to ignorant views. Their minds continually resting in equanimity, such are the monks in this community of monks. So the five lower fetters are, we can think of them as resistances. What gets in the way of practicing the Dhamma? What gets in the way of um, maintaining a dedicated practice of jhana meditation, of study, of um, eightfold path practice. These five lower fetters are one, self-referential views, Anatta, eye-making, I want, I I like, I don't like, this is mine, this is me. Those are self-referential views. And we can see how that gets in the way of Dhamma practice, gets in the way of our relation to others in the world. It gets in the way of um, taking the time each day to sit because I don't want to, I want to do something else. I want to, you know, go to the movies. I want to whatever. Um, So self-referential views is one of the, these five lower fetters grasping at rituals and practices that only continue self-referential views. So um, again, this It says it right there, grasping, grasping. So we're, we're reaching towards something else outside of what we have right here and now to stabilize our mind, bring us into the present moment. We're going to grasp at something outside to make us happy, to, um, take away the pain, take away the stress. Whatever. Three, the third of the five lower fetters, uncertainty or lack of conviction. So uncertainty as a resistance to Dhamma practice is number one, it can't be avoided where this is all occurring within the field of impermanence so in impermanence there is no certainty things are arising and passing on their own all the time we can't fix it solve it change it get rid of it it's it's just coming and going on its own our desire to have certainty have solidity have some kind of surety that we'll always get what we want or we'll never get what we don't want. All of those things are in the way. One, it's in the way of uh, understanding our contribution to stress because if uncertainty is, is what's distracting my mind, and I'm constantly being drawn towards what I want, what I don't want. I'm at that point, the five cleaning aggregates have arisen. And, and now I'm contending with this um, personal experience of stress. So the fourth of the five lower fetters is craving for sensory stimulation. So you see in in the previous three that we've listed how that happens. When we crave for sensory stimulation, we've already established a self that needs stimulation. Otherwise it's unhappy or whatever. So now we're, we're in delusion. Um, and again, th- this is a, that's a resistance. That's a resistance to sitting. That's a resistance to practice in general. The fifth of the five lower fetters is ill will towards oneself and others. And so they, these, we can see how that gets in the way. Ill will. Maura, you described it really well last night. Um You know, that that the ill will around whatever the issue is, is what's the problem, you know? And if we can let go of that ill will towards the bad guys or whatever, then our relationship to what's occurring changes. So that's a, a pretty... Uh, obviously it's extremely important, but it's, it's not easy. It's not easy to one, be honest enough to, to recognize that you're holding ill will towards yourself or others Two to let go of that ill will towards yourself or others, um, or situations in the world. Um, because there's, you know, a lot of injustice and in all kinds of things in the world. Um, but remember, first noble truth, as a consequence of having a human life, there is stress. Those are the five lower fetters. Um, and again, these, these fetters describe our resistances to practice and are akin to the hindrances of which we're familiar with. And these themselves, these five lower fetters, are the burden to be laid down. The next one, Buddha's words here. In this community of monks, there are monks who, abandoning the first three fetters, self-referential views, grasping at rituals and practices, and uncertainty, and with diminishing of passion, aversion, and deluded thinking, have established the heartwood the Dhamma and will make an ending to stress. It means they'll, they'll understand their contribution to stress. They are in the stream of the Dhamma, resolute, developing the cessation of suffering, their minds inclined towards awakening. Such are the monks in this community of monks. In this community of monks, there are monks who remain devoted to the development of the four frames of reference, the four right exertions or right efforts, the four bases of power, the five faculties, the five strengths, the seven factors for awakening, the Noble Eightfold Path, such are the monks in this community of monks. And Mary will get us into some of those later. Um, But the first one that's mentioned there are the four frames of reference. Um, So again, this, this section is describing the what of of dhamma practice? What are we doing? what What are the qualities and characteristics, concerns and considerations that are that make up dhamma practice? Um. So the four frames of reference, the four foundations of mindfulness: mindfulness of the breath and the body, mindfulness of feelings arising and passing, mindfulness of thoughts arising and passing, and mindfulness of the present quality present but impermanent quality of mind. So this is just like what we do in our in the meditation instructions. When we take to our cushion, when we sit down, this is what we do. This is how we practice. So layer one, right? Um, john's words here the buddha is placing the anapanasati sutta in the context of the more extensive satipatana sutta which was our fall retreat Um, the dhamma can only be understood and practically applied within the overall context of dependent origination the four noble truths and the four foundations of mindfulness the next these uh four right efforts so I'll just read them. Four right efforts. Avoiding inappropriate thoughts, words, and deeds that have yet arisen. Abandoning inappropriate thoughts, words, and deeds that have arisen. Developing appropriate thoughts, words, and deeds that have yet arisen. Maintaining appropriate thoughts, words, and deeds for continual development of non-confusion and skillful qualities that have arisen. So right there, they've, the Buddha has described two very important aspects of what? Our behavior. These four right efforts address our behavior in the world, both internally and externally what's going on inside, and what's going on out here in the world. They speak to the virtuous factors of the Eightfold Path and support the development of the virtuous factors of the Eightfold Path. The four bases of power, calm, Rooted in concentration. Persistence. Rooted in concentration. Right intention. Rooted in concentration. Wisdom. Rooted in concentration. So. The four bases of power. The power is concentration.
2: Okay.
1: So that's when we practice Jhana meditation. When we practice the Concentration factors of the Eightfold Path. That's what is the engine for calm, insight, all of those things. Concentration. That's the power that is cultivated in this practice. Concentration. Not powers to fly around or astral project or whatever. Those are great, no problem, but that's not what we're doing here. And what we're doing here is something that's much more beneficial to ourselves and others, which is develop concentration. And in developing that concentration, there is calm, there's persistence, There is right intention and wisdom. These four bases describe perfectly what nourishes our right effort concentration. And in turn, concentration factors of the Eightfold Path. The five faculties and five strengths I'll read them. The five faculties, conviction, enthusiastic engagement, right mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. The five strengths, conviction, conscience, concern, persistence, Wisdom and discernment. So we see again how these things are, are mirroring each other, supporting each other. This is the Buddha outlining what it is that he's seeing in this community of monks. He's seeing their behavior. He's, he's hearing what, what they're saying. He's watching what they're doing. He's, he's noticing how they're holding themselves and conducting themselves in public. So, and he says, this is good. This is, this is correct. So let's just go over these again, really quick. Um, Five faculties, conviction relates to right effort. You know, if we if we have conviction that this practice that we've developed, this practice that we maintain, if we're seeing the benefits from it in our life, then that supports our right effort, that conviction that this practice is good. It's beneficial for me, it's beneficial for the people in my life, because I, I see it. So that relates to right effort, conviction, enthusiastic engagement. This relates to right view and right intention. The the wisdom factors. So when we're when we're enthusiastically engaged in sutta study jhana meditation, practice of the eightfold path, sharing what we're learning. This is enthusiastic engagement. So that in itself keeps us practicing, right? Um, Right mindfulness. Again, that right mindfulness is holding in mind these factors, these um, characteristics of the Dhamma. The holding in mind conviction, holding in mind persistence, holding in mind right intention, holding in mind these things. Um, that's what's That's what we're mindful of. Um, Concentration and wisdom. Again, concentration, huge. These five strengths. Conviction, again, is one of the five strengths as it's also one of the five faculties. Conviction in the Buddha and his Dhamma. Here, the Buddha, a human being, 2,600 years ago, through his own right effort, came to understand stress in the world and taught it. And we're fortunate to have that instruction living today in this room. Um, Thank you, John. And thank you Sangha for demonstrating that conscience Conscience is one of the five strengths, is regret at misconduct in thought, word, and deed. So again, this is this is referring to our behavior again, and in particular, the internal aspect of that, you know, in, in that, you know, John says all the time, when we're, be gentle with yourself, when practicing meditation, when developing the Dhamma, you're attempting something that, that not everyone does. So this, this is, it takes a little bit, you know, you gotta, you gotta practice this and it's not always, um, easy, you know,
3: you don't always want to do it. You don't always want to do it.
1: And you know, that's
3: the want to do it.
1: Right. Yeah. So that, and that speaks to the, those five lower fetters Mm -hmm. and the, and the hindrances as well. Um, so we were gentle with ourselves when, when, we make a mistake in life in our speech and what we say to someone if we if we we are noticing that we're holding ill will towards ourselves or others we recognize that um when we make a mistake out in the world with our people we recognize that and we we think about that we we, we're concerned about that um we're not going to you know self-flagellate but we we recognize it,
3: abandon it, and abandon it. Yeah, <laughs> guard against. Yeah, those but, four. It's,
4: but it's also an opportunity not to steal any of Ram's thunder, but to skillfully investigate within the framework that you're not ruminating over it or trying to just push it away. Mm-hmm. You're really taking a stock of like where you're at in that mindfulness and what you're holding in mind. So it's not like this contemplative exercise. It's a true within this Dhamma investigation. Yeah. It's a clear look at yourself. Yeah.
3: And allows you to make amends too in in your relationships without taking it personally.
4: Yeah. Yeah. You're not trying to parse it out. You're not trying to like I still have to protect my flank here because I've Failed, right? But you haven't failed. You're you're just acknowledging. You're aware. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, and that that's again that that speaks to the this the internal aspect of this practice, and in our behavior. You know, um, concern. For the suffering that arises from misconduct we're aware of it we're 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 acknowledging it we're not we're honest about it we're we're honest in ourselves about it which is integrity you know these are which is how we hold ourselves in the world and how we show up this is what the buddha saw when he was looking out at these monks hundreds of monks Persistence for integrating the eightfold path as the framework for mindfulness and for one's life. This is that—that's related to the conviction. That's related to um, what we just talked about in the five faculties. This enthusiastic engagement. You know, persistence. We 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 keep going. We keep going. We keep coming to class. We keep hearing it again and again. We keep taking it onto our cushion. We keep taking it out into the world off our cushion. And that way, it starts to become the framework of our inner life and outer life. The Eightfold Path. Wisdom and discernment, penetrative understanding for the arising and passing away of suffering and all phenomena. Discernment is the ability to see the things appropriately within the appropriate context. Discernment is a quality of right view. So again, the wisdom and discernment that arise from conviction, persistence, concern, conscience, all of these things bring us to a direct experience with impermanence. Direct experience with our impermanence of thoughts and feelings. Direct experience of impermanence with our words and actions when we understand impermanence when we understand that all conditioned things arise and pass away that that's that's everything that's major you know, that that starts to unbind this compulsion to self. Yeah.
5: Absolutely. You know? What a
4: relief. Right. <laughs> you know? Um.
1: So again, those those the five faculties and, and five strengths outline these considerations and concerns as well as these qualities and the direction of Dhamma practice. They also point to the character of a Dhamma practitioner. A Dhamma practitioner who has chosen this path to full human maturity. That's what we're doing. And there's no, you know, as we'll go on later in this sutta towards the end, we'll see monks that that take to this path to develop this path, one day, three days, seven days, seven weeks, seven months. In in that time, applying this way, practicing this way, you there is awakening. You know, and what is that? Understanding our contribution to stress. Thanks, guys. So let's go and see what our friends uh Lucius, how you doing, my friend?
6: Doing well. Uh, I don't have much to say. I'm just going to let it sink in. Glad you're here. <coughs> and Deb.
1: Hi.
7: Good morning. Morning. Morning, everybody. Um, yeah, there's certainly lots here. Yeah. Um, Uh, I'm. I'm. I guess I'm. I'm kind of pondering at this point that um, how much of this are are kind of unspoken or unrecognized universal human characteristics that get obscured by really fear uh, and discomfort with impermanence of life that much of this seems to be an education in giving what might otherwise be unlabeled vague sensings or misgivings, some sort of structure that enables discernment and the building of wisdom. That if you were to inquire with most people on any one point, they would be able to say, Yes, that's that's good or that's bad. They'd be able to make a judgment. They'd say this is preferable or not preferable. But without some sort of structure in which to develop, um, your my experience and what I think I see in most people is that they the discernment and wisdom is never fully developed. They may have vague sensings of things, but there's no structure um say that again it, Jeff yeah <laughs> <laughs> all of that or no structure <laughs> <the last> <laughs> now what what uh, you know somebody asked me whether or not uh I thought this was overwhelming there was too much material presented too quickly and in, in a sense there is but um, my limited experience is that, that people associate or, or, or pick up on certain things that, that keep them engaged. When you look at the totality and say, well, I've got to memorize these things, it, it, it seems like a Herculean task, probably not accessible. Yeah. But if, if you simply... Um, Relax into the process, and relate to those things that that strike a chord. The rest of it follows naturally. Yeah, I think.
1: I do too. That yeah, that's that's excellent, Jeff. Really well said. Thank you for that.
4: So, really, the lack of structure that Jeff's describing is the lack of refined mindfulness. Yeah. Because you grab on that you see that, you have a flash of this, you have these things that you recognize, but without the mindfulness, then there's no way to hold in mind the eightfold path.
1: And that's exactly it. And that was the first thing that we talked about here, which is the four bases of power. Where where is the power coming from to hold this in mind? Is coming from developing concentration. Every single thing, concentration, concentration, concentration.
0: So and what blocks you from that, Matt? All right, let me let me let me let me talk, and then I'll then I'll just shut up. It, the first thing is that was an, it really was an excellent teaching. You you got the I think the most difficult part of the sutta to teach when you're not teaching the whole sutta, because it's, it's just a list, and what does a list mean, and you can kind of gloss over it a little bit, but you laid it out perfectly, and notice how this section begins with the five fetters, and what it's saying is that the when the five fetters arise, that's an opportunity to practice the dhamma, and then mm-hmm. you'll achieve these other things that followed in this sutta. And no, notice how many times concentration was mentioned, and how necessary that is. Um, and uh, Jeff mentioned structure. John, in practice, and concentration is the structure that supports everything else. But the things that could take us away from that, such as the five fetters, or we've mentioned the five hindrances often. Um, those, again, those are just opportunities to overcome those things that would block you from developing the rest of the Dhamma. But um, it, it, the, other, the other thing about all these lists, the original um, Dhamma was transmitted from teacher to student, teacher to student, teacher to student verbally. So they created lists because lists is what are what we can easily remember. And so that's why we have all these lists, but it also works for us too. We don't have to memorize all these things, but we can also always return back to them. But being mindful of the fetters, being mindful of the hindrances as simply opportunity to practice the Dhamma. And then we know that we're gonna get these really, what I think are the most incredible rewards we could ever get in life. That's all I have this morning. Thank you, Matt, it was an excellent
1: teaching. Thank you, John. Yeah, Jeff, and I think I think you're right in that, in that way that it, this, at first glance, seems to be common human experience, right? Common human understanding, common human habit, even. Um, But remember that the framework that we're looking for, the structure, is provided by the Buddha as the Eightfold Path. And so, The Eightfold Path contains all of these things. It contains each facet of life in the phenomenal world where we're going to experience these common human things, dilemmas, issues, confusions, whatever. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
0: I said I was going to shut up, but Matt, you mentioned that the the Eightfold Path is the limiting factor in our life. It keeps us from grasping outside of ourselves for something else. It keeps us from grasping outside of ourselves to somehow eliminate the fetters or to explain them away or to analyze them. We don't do that. We just practice the Eightfold Path, and the Eightfold Path limits us to just what is necessary for awakening. And it keeps us from getting into the, into other things such as uh, rituals and practices that are just extraneous distractions to what we're hoping to do, which is simply develop full human maturity to awaken. But we can't do it when we're always outside of ourselves, always grasping after. So now I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I may add, yeah. uh,
7: the uncertainty is, is. Um, almost a human condition without the structure of the dharma that uh, impermanence that we experience in life is almost synonymous with uncertainty it, it's, it's we're living in a, in a moving changing environment and as soon as we become aware of ourselves as being a discrete individual, or uh, we, uh, that we that the flip side of that coin would be the fear of loss of that discrete individualism, that identity, and that, for example, little children are more or less fearless. Um, they, they get up in the morning, they don't necessarily have a plan, they just get up and experience whatever happens and accept it pretty much for what it is. And as we get older, or as we're conditioned, we basically are conditioned to be, uh, to avoid uncertainty. So we begin to create the very stress that we're trying to avoid. And, um, So I I, I guess I, I was thinking that that impermanence and uncertainty seem to be almost the same things so, that that until you can actually embrace the uncertainty or the impermanence, your it's it, it it can be experienced as undesirable un, instability oh. and something to avoid. Um, it's just a thought I had on the the the, the fetters that. It again, it seems to be almost universal.
1: Deb, did you have anything you wanted to say?
2: You know, following Jeff is difficult at best. (laughs) (laughs) He's just on a whole different level than my brain. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) I do want to say something, and I don't know if this is the appropriate time, but I had some questions. I've been in the background for weeks. And uh, when I began listening, I noticed that it reminded me a lot of my grandmother. She was a Christian scientist and she was a practitioner and she also had a Buddha in her office. So I was, my brain sometimes gets this image. And a lot of what I've been hearing for the last eight, nine weeks, however weeks it's been, she keeps popping up in my head. And a lot of the things that we're going through, I have practiced my whole life, but just not to the depths that I'm hearing now. So it tells me I have more to learn, obviously, but all these pieces of the puzzle coming together is thought provoking for me and that's all i have to say <laughs> thank you
1: that's great thank you um
2: i know um, not not a lot to say after that huh <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jeez, what is it with the Kemps? you can't follow <laughs> oh.
0: go
2: ahead john spit it out
0: <laughs> no i it, it, you're you're again you're just describing this incredible opportunity that we have to put all these pieces together and understand what it means to be a human being, because that's all we're doing. And in so, in so doing and understanding what it means to be a human being, we have liberated ourselves from needing anything else because this is it. This is what we get, but it's what we get is incredible. It's a human life. It's one of the most unique things that we're aware of in the entire universe. You know, we speculate about aliens and people living on other places, and there probably is. But we are unique as a species, and as and um, as a as a community within that species. As we learn in this sutta, this is unique what we're doing. It's rare. There's not that many people that do this or will do it. But we get to do it. We get to put all these pieces together. Again, it, it, to me, it's a it's astonishing. It's also amazing to me how many times I can say I'm not going to say anything.
7: <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you got prompt at this time. You're, you're
2: off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> I was let, letting Matt off the hook too. You don't have to follow anything I say because it's all impromptu. <laughs> Unlike Jeff, he makes notes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's great. Thank you. I'm really glad you're here. Great. Wisdom. And how's the weather there?
2: Oh, I showed you a picture. We got about uh, six to eight inches of snow. It's All still right. snowing.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you're getting it. We're not. <laughs>
8: <laughs> Teacher Kevin. Thank you, Matt. That was a really concise and clear teaching. I think we've done a good job of extrapolating sort of this dense teaching. Um, You know, one thing that I noticed in, in the right efforts section, um, you know, the Buddha's pretty skillful in the way that at least John has translated this, how we have four sort of, um, actions or tasks, you know, we avoid inappropriate thoughts, words, and deeds that have yet arisen. We abandon those that are arising or are here. And we develop appropriate thoughts, words, and actions. And, And this kind of points to, uh, you know, this leads us to the gate of concentration, maintaining appropriate thoughts. We do that in, in a calm way once we learn the Dhamma in a concentrated way. And there's a really nice overarching theme here. I think Brian mentioned it yesterday, but, you know, persistence is, is prevalent through this entire sutta. You know, the Buddha is very gentle with how he describes the monks from all walks. And, and it's sort of very gently encouraging that, that if you keep going and you, you apply this persistence, you know you'll you'll notice it you'll notice the calm people will notice it around you and you'll maintain the correct and appropriate practice that the Buddha describes and, and I think you know persistence is really a, a unique thing and especially when applied in this context in this room in this group um, you know a famous quote by Calvin Coolidge said persistence and determination alone are omnipotent and I think if we apply that specifically in what we're doing in this room and in this Dhamma practice that really takes on a new meaning if you stick with this through thick and thin um, you know it, it it's not easy as we've said you know life life does throw things your way you get upended you travel you get to lose jobs you lose people but if you keep going and you keep this you know as your passenger, so to speak, you know, you're going to get there, you're going to develop a calm mind and and the stresses of the world will sort of just bounce off you. They roll off you. You, you have a lightness to your being. And, and that's, um, you know, probably where we're going to get going to, you know, at the end of this weekend, you know, that's what calm feels like. You're not grasping after anything. You're not looking to change anything. It's, it's, you know, you deal with what you deal with and, and, that's the most powerful thing you have in a world that's completely uncertain, as Jeff was getting to. You know, there's no, there's no certainty at all, but you got some certainty there with some concentration and your breath and your sangha. So thank you, Galt. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, teacher Kev. Well said. <clears> Rom. <throat> Yeah, all I can do
9: is echo what was said in the very beginning. This Sangha is rare in the world. Thank
4: you. Jen.
3: Thinking about what Jeff said and how this this stuff is intuitive and developing wisdom is possible. Um, And I'm also thinking about a friend of mine who was absolutely brilliant and but never had really any schooling beyond like 10th grade and insisted that he was gonna invent a perpetual motion machine. and continued
1: all the brilliant ones want to invent perpetual motion
3: (laughs) trying to invent this perpetual motion machine and being a scientist i kept saying to him you know you got to just 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 read a physics book please just do like (laughs) do a little bit of you know education to kind of just learn what other people already know so that you're not trying to reinvent the wheel and that's what I think of when I think of the teachings of the Dhamma. Like, what, what? Just, um, mm-hmm. just solve the math problem with these steps because mm-hmm. it's right here. And trying to figure out how to do it your own way is, mm-hmm. it's just I'm making.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: It's just resisting, and. So that's what, that's what it came up for me.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Teacher Brian.
6: I'm trying to remember what I said yesterday. <laughs> 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 uh, said
4: I'm glad I don't have to memorize anything
8: because <laughs> I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> um, it struck me that the dichotomy between the fetters which are, let's
0: face it, they're all ego, right? And mm-hmm. then the, the
6: concentration developed that just minimizes that ego and the experience that you have on the other side of that, mm-hmm. these two poles. Um, that, <laughs> that be the you
1: yeah.
7: Thank you, Thank, Thank you,
1: me. Brian. Awesome. Teacher Mary.
7: Well, excuse, excuse me, Matt. Can you turn the camera? Can you turn the yeah. camera?
1: Yep. yep Thank yep.
10: you. I was thinking about what Deb said, and I often thought that when I first started coming to meditation, that it was actually my positive experience with a faith I was raised in that was the portal as to why I could hear this because it's familiar. It's, it's, um common sense and um you may have heard certain things before but it's the structure underneath this of the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths that I think separates it from other things but as you were speaking Deb that's what I was thinking is I had a a portal that was created yours was created by your grandmother and that's why you're hearing things that sound familiar and probably warm which is nice um Yeah, I think through the whole, um, there's a whole, um, you know, you could probably talk about resistance, you know, for a whole day, right? All the fetters and everything, because we all have resistance and we all resist, and it's called different things like justification, right? Like, that's a big one. And when I was new to the practice and I don't know, I guess I read something. I really saw how much I uh, justified something, an opinion, a point of view, a feeling, you know, all of that. And and because you think that's you, uh-huh. I'm justifying me and my identity, how I see myself or how I was raised mm-hmm. or whatever. And um, you don't see that as I'm making. Mm-hmm. And it's really important to do that work because then you, because nobody wants to be conceited, right? Nobody, everybody can see that that would be bad, but we're, we frame it out in a certain way in our society, but we don't realize that justification could be that, that resistance is that, that all these fetters are that. And they're eye-making and why would you want to do that? It makes it a little easier to let them go. Um, rather than to overanalyze, why am I that way? Why am I resisting? Why am I all of that? So that's part of what came up for me with the better. So thank you, Matt, for the teaching. Great. (laughs) Becky. Hi, thank you,
5: Matt. Um, I want to pick up a little bit on what Jeff said that the, the idea, the fact that impermanence is, impermanence is, is scary for we humans who know that we are impermanent. Or who somehow know it but don't want to admit it. And Jeff said that people are able to understand what's good and what's bad. But until you experience these teachings, you can't, you can't overcome the impermanence. And if you can never overcome the impermanence, you're always functioning From a false space, from a space that can only lead to more horror. Yeah, that's it. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I mean, and Becky, I mean,
5: and this this teaching is just so amazing because it shows you that it just shows you that and i never i never memorized any lists i never did anything except start meditating Mm -hmm. and let these teachings wash over me and of course you have to have right effort you have to have right intention you have to keep coming you have to keep doing it i mean you can't stop doing it it's not good but that's that's what that's all you have to do is breathe, meditate, and come to Sangha.
1: Yeah, I mean. It's just amazing. Thank you. <laughs> and something in there that I just wanted to, to clarify. How do we overcome impermanence?
2: Yeah.
1: By accepting impermanence. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: You
1: know, understanding, understanding
5: impermanence. Yeah. But that, yeah, I know. And isn't that simple?
6: Yeah, <laughs> no.
5: <laughs> no, but the but the yes. human rights yes. can't do these. Yeah, yeah. And, and you have to look at the race
6: uh, impermanence is what allows us to imagine. Yeah,
5: yes. it's, it's you know it's both sides. Yeah. Well, what's up.
7: interesting yeah. is when when people decide uh, my routine has become too oppressive and boring, you go on a vacation where you hope to have an adventure. And you actually embrace impermanence, much like a child does. When they get up in the morning and they go outside, they go out and say, I wonder what's happening in the world. Mm -hmm. And when you go on vacation, you do much the same thing. But somehow, we try to corral that and limit it so that it doesn't get, I guess, too scary for us.
2: Jeff and I had a lesson of impermanence this morning. Can anybody see that? It's just a typical water bottle, says hydro. That's my rowing machine, that's how I take care of myself. And this is a lid. I dropped my lid on the floor this week and broke a piece off here. It saddened me because it now is not in the same uh, structure it was before. So impermanence to my bottle cap. I still brought it home. He put the piece back together for me because I needed this to be as perfect as it was because this this means a lot to me personally. And he looked at me and he says, this is impermanence, Deborah. You need to grasp this. (laughs)
3: So there you go. <laughs> the water bottle. <laughs> there's great care in repairing that cap So, impermanence doesn't necessarily mean we don't care for the world around us. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. It means that when something breaks, right, we can fix it. And that's a beautiful thing, Deborah.
1: <laughs> I think you guys will be our travel agents in the Dhamma.
9: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I was just going to echo Jeff what you said, uh, embracing impermanence is and what Matt said, Impermanence, you know, and having a direct experience with impermanence is, is really, um, it can be very painful at times, but I guess, ironically, it does lead to a more intimate personal experience with others and ourselves you know accepting that Mm -hmm. that's that's just the nature of uh, everything and like Jeff like you were saying it's our fear of loss and um I guess Matt would you say like our resistance to impermanence is kind of what leads to the the fetters like the self-referentiality the um uncertainty excessive Excessive uh, sensory stimulation. You know, none of those things are bad, but just in excess, they become really debilitating. So, yeah. Thank you for your teaching, everyone. Jane.
11: Thank you, Matt, and thanks to everybody. This has been very eye-opening or enlightening. Um, I practice because it works. I don't need any other reason to practice and then because I've seen the benefits. Um, Just one example is um, I work at a school and my principal and I kind of got off to a rocky start. And she said some things and did some things I found hurtful and I found that I, I carried that around. I mean, I took that personally so that even months after it occurred, Every time I would see her, Mm -hmm. I'd get that feeling,
5: Mm
11: -hmm.
3: uh, that that unpleasant feeling,
11: and uh, Mm -hmm. I didn't understand impermanence. I mean, truth is, she probably didn't even remember, right? But I'm carrying (laughs) all this around, and my practice allowed me to understand that it was just an impermanent thing, and I was taking it personally, and now, you know, I let that go, and now we have a wonderful relationship. So Mm -hmm. That's great. Mm -hmm. Just, just one example. So it works.
1: Thank you, Jane. Excellent. Laura.
3: Uh, hi, everybody on screen now and everybody here. Um, I've heard such a great, such a, so many great things. Um, I just want to rejoice in um, the merits of this wonderful song. Uh, really, though, I mean, you know, it's just like such a great thing. And, it, and actually, it's so um, liberating to be free of a fault-finding mind that looks for what isn't there. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I suffered from that quite a bit in my life. Still do. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and that, the thing that struck me the most from, you know, this... this kind of cumbersome teaching is on um, the your delivery. Um, we talked about that last night, a, a, an ease and and a flexible mind and heart um, and how that's palpable and that calm yeah. you know and it gives a, an entryway, it gives a pathway, as you mentioned this morning in Qigong. Um, for the mind to get, to accept and allow and receive um, these teachings in a way. So it could, those same things could be said. Um, we've got four of these and six of those and 19. And, you know, and, and and it's hard to take it all in, but, you know, your ease in which the calm, um, kind of the mindfulness and how you deliver the quality of your speech um, has a lot, to do with the transmission of that teaching, mm-hmm. so.
4: Thank you.
3: Thank you very much. You. And I would just say that personally in meditation this morning, like the, I've often heard of that third letter, and I, I know John likes to um, restore the suttas, um, but as doubt, right? Mm-hmm. So uncertainty, I think there's been, it's, it's there also uncertainty, you know, and to me, the way that I kind of see that which is different than impermanence. It, there's a self in there that's uncertain mm-hmm. about what's going on, right? Can I do this? Is this the right way? Uh, you know, so this this morning when we just started our sit and and I just heard the phrase of kind of um let go of wanting to make something happen. <laughs> right and like there's always that we want to make something happen I want to make it happen in my meditation I want to make it happen on my vacation you know I want to make it happen and you know and that um, I think Laura just kind of said oh those are wonderful things there's nothing wrong with it but what it does do is craving disappointment you know all of these things and where does that come from it's over identifying that this vehicle is permanent and needs something to happen you know so that that phrase of just like letting go of not wanting anything to like to happen because I want my meditation to be calm and collected and Mm -hmm. and that only rises self which has a push and pull against what's happening so it's just kind of like seeing that hey breath yeah. they influence yeah. the four foundations um i'll say jeff you know you were saying how kids. i made that comment about how kids are just like accepting of all new things and and i said not the kids i work with so i work with little <laughs> ones and and they they uh consistency and routine and 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 the the less secure they are in themselves the more you see this rigidity kick in um so yeah. yeah, I work with a lot of little teeny ones that are budding autistic brains and um, they have a lot of fear and a lot of self-protection. The world is a very confusing place yeah. to them and we don't understand them either. And we want them to be different than they are. We would like something else to be happening yeah. <laughs> in yeah. their lives, you know, and that creates suffering for them and for us. And, you know, anyway, yeah.
0: I, I got more, can I ask you a question? Yes. Don't you think that the fear that you're seeing in two and three-year-olds is more um, instilled in them by their parents and the people around them trying to control someone who is um, on the syndromes? That's the way, right way right? to... I'm thinking about a family member that I had. Mm-hmm. And his, his mother was very fearful and always controlling of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he grew up a very fearful young man, but he's taken, he's now in his thirties
9: mm-hmm.
0: and he's worked through the fear by learning to accept that, that he has autism. Mm-hmm. And he's now flourishing. He got a, he got a job. He's working in a, um, a, I think it's a Walgreens, something like that. And he's out in the world and he's you know he's, he's face to face with people and he has no more fear because it's not being modeled around him. And I'm I'm not blaming his mother, my yeah. sister. You know, she was yeah. doing the best yeah. she could with
3: Yeah, I, mean, so I think society <laughs>
0: has,
3: has a lot, John. I think you know you're touching on something. I would love to have this conversation with you. Because um, it is, you know, uh, most of the parents that I work with have a deep fear about how their child is going to be accepted in society. And their dysregulation causes continued (laughs) dysregulation in their child and all this. And so, one of the things that we work with is helping the parents to kind of unpack and let go so they can attune more to what's occurring and respond to what's occurring. Um, and it makes such a difference, John, it absolutely does.
0: Um, so yeah, it's a long conversation, but yeah, that, and, But just to bring it back into, into our, our Sangha here, the, the Dhamma pro, it can provide a resolution for that mm-hmm. through first developing a measure of concentration and then addressing your own fetters, which <clears throat> manifest as fear. Um, impermanence and uncer- uncertainty is one is an aspect of impermanence Um, And you're right, it can be called doubt because it comes up that way, but it's all, all of that is rooted in the ever-changing moment, which means our thoughts are always changing.
3: So that letting go that I mentioned in the beginning, not wanting to have something else happen, that, so here's uncertainty, impermanence, and calm, because every time you open to that which is occurring and that which is changing concentration uh strengthens in my experience it's yeah. the not you know, doing that but um
0: anyway thank you yeah matt mentioned enthusiasm um and it's certainly part of the Dhamma, part of our practice and when you understand impermanence then all that you see is uh, and all that you have is an enthusiastic you know in enthos is the root the latin root it means it to be inspired uh, by this moment so we're enthusiastic about the opportunity to just live in the next moment because I'm living in this moment you know and that in, in this what is occurring in this moment when I'm simply a reference point to what is occurring then I'm full of of a calm enthusiasm simply by being present for my own life and then the all the things that are going on out there maybe my autistic child or you know a burgeoning war or all the, the crazy things that we we you know it, <laughs> make up about what's going on in the world they just don't occur because you're just present for it. that's it awesome. <laughs> what thank was you. that
3: also known as joy <laughs> enthusiasm
0: yeah. yep thank How's you danger mike is here mike. hey john Mike, good to see you good to see you brother how are you doing Good. Always a pleasure, man. Indeed.
6: Not really sure what I could add to any of that. I'm still, you know, that does a lot. So, uh, yeah, but I mean, uh, the development, yeah, of concentration through the practice, right? Right. We're we are what we're trying to do is live in the present moment and not, you know, that's so how I'm take I take from this and not not uh, making something that it's not, you know, and have acceptance and and uh, be forgiving of ourselves and others. It's all about being in the present moment, but also uh, you know, being open to the potential mm-hmm. of what's there. I think, uh, you know, which develops a life of, uh, you know, I don't say like following your bliss, but you end up, you end up being happy because you're able to be accepting and not mm-hmm. have expectation which opens you up to, to what you love at the same time. I think, you know, cause there has, there's that like reciprocity with the, you know, the, the universe or, you know, uh, at, the, at the same time. Um, did I say forgiveness? I was thinking yeah. about that earlier, you yeah. know, that that's, you know, forgiving yourself and forgiving other people, uh, you know, for uh, however, um, you know, things have played out or are, you know, are playing out, you know, and, and realizing that you don't have to, you don't have to be pulled in to uh, reactions or, um, you, know, uh, 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 you know, just uh, that's like, like the way that you always are, you know, like, mm-hmm. like the, the, the development of the practice helps you see, the, you know, beyond that, like, I look at the, the practice as, Practice for when I'm not meditating. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's you know, just to maneuver, to maneuver the world. That's what I, and that's what I feel like this city is really
3: saying.
4: Mm-hmm. Great. Thanks, brother. Church. Thanks for bringing love in there, Mike. <laughs> Hi everyone. Uh, yeah, that was really helpful. Uh and as you were saying that, I thought of ease. it it allows you to be at ease which relaxes you to forgive Mm -hmm. versus having this protective self yeah and you know you, you mentioned the power the power of concentration just it's the motor it's like this is what you have to develop so you can have refined mindfulness so you can be at ease because without that, you're always trying to protect. You're always trying to deflect. You're always trying to, you know, maintain this thing that you know we've, we've created for ourselves. And what you're describing is like forgiveness of something that you would never forgive in the past is possible. Mm. And Jane, mm. that example. Mm. To bring it back around to why we have this practice. Develop developed this concentration to have this refined mindfulness so we can have this insight to these three marks to truly understand what that impermanence is. You know, Laura had this like pretty imagery of this river mm-hmm. and that river would never be the same, you know, the old Buddhist, you know, the flame you started in the evening isn't the same flame that, you know, mm-hmm. so... But then there's that insight of impermanence and the things that are scary about impermanence. And once you come to that insight and read the part in the sutta with uh, that I'm doing tomorrow of how limiting it is. You know, the Buddha's not telling you to chase down something that has arisen, it just has arisen. Jen has always done such a nice job describing that it's that awareness we're not chasing it down we don't need to fix it we don't need to explain it and that's the practice it's this awareness it's just you're cognizing it and simply there mm-hmm. so this is a, a, a wonderful sutta in that, that it, it does encompass a lot but it, in essence it's really just insight that you will develop Based on, you know, this concentration, this jhana and this mindfulness.
0: Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Dave. Great job. Excellent. Hey, Matt. Yes, sir. Something else because of what just came up. Interesting that that Mike was talking about forgiveness and, and love. And in all the restorations I've done, I've never seen anything that I could restore to love or forgiveness. But what the Buddha talks about is marrying compassion, which we can see as a a love for others and ourselves in that way. But he also talks about the danger of that type of compassion without wisdom. And we can see many examples of that. And then the other side of forgiveness, forgiveness is um, it's not something magnanimous at all. I see what you did, but I'll let it go. True forgiveness is, is letting go of any judgments that we have of other people or ourselves. And that's resolved in the, in the Dhamma with not developing judgments of other people to begin with. So uh, uh, w- when we're practicing the Dhamma and have developed it to a certain level, there's no need for forgiveness because there's no harsh judgments. And that begins with wisdom and compassion and knowing to always be gentle with ourselves. And when we can develop that, now we are gentle with other people, but it all begins with ourselves. It all begins with learning to be gentle with ourselves, learning to be compassionate with ourselves because we're understanding the nature of our own dukkha. And then we can develop that wisdom that lets, so before I can truly forgive others, let go of judgments i have on others i have to begin with letting go of the judgments that i have about myself again coming all the way back to concentration and being gentle with ourselves and that's why the buddha didn't teach those things because he didn't there those were external affectations of ignorance but now with understanding we're simply a reference point to what's occurring we're remaining harmless so really just an it. it I, I think I say this every session, but this was such an outstanding class that you led. And um, I was wondering how this was going to go with, with teaching just a list. But um, you inspired a great class, Matt, and then everybody else in your contributions. Were just, just wonderful. I, I took a lot of gabapentin because I had a lot of pain last night. And I was debating whether I was just even wanted to get up for this class. And I'm glad I did, it was really outstanding. So thank you, Matt. Thank you, everyone. Mike, good to see you. Oh, does everyone know that we're gonna start our afternoon session at 1.30? Yes, they do now. (laughs) Good, thanks,
1: Matt. Thanks, all.
3: Um,
1: Jeff. Excuse me. Oh yeah, Deb.
2: I had a question for John. and I didn't know if I heard him correctly. Could you please repeat? Um, did you say lack of Ruth R U T H? And that t- to be inspired, the lack to be inspired. Is that what you said, John?
0: Oh, enthusiasm, the root of the word enthusiasm is enthos, which is which just means to be inspired by the moment. And so that that that's what we're we're inspired by the moment because we understand the opportunity to simply live in the moment, to be, to have a, to have a human life moment by moment by moment. Thank you. Thanks for the question.
1: Jeff, will you, um, if Adam's planning on coming to the afternoon session, just let him know that we're doing it at one 30.
7: I will. If I hear from you.
1: Cool. Yeah,
0: if possible. All All right, all. Thank you, and we'll see you soon. See you all at 1.30. It's 12.30 our time, right? Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.